Man, I'm excited for today. God's moving. Weather is perfect. Summer finally showed up. It's better late than never. But uh, I'm so glad you made it this morning. If this is your first time, you're sitting in a four-year-old miracle. This is Ocean's Church, and uh, I'm excited for what God is doing. I believe we're in one of the greatest seasons of our entire church's history. And if you want to be a part of some, some really cool stuff, uh, get your kids to kids camp this week. Make sure you do that. We have youth camp. Get your kids signed up to youth camp. And uh, not this Tuesday and Thursday, but the following, we're going to be resuming prayer. This week, Kids Camp's taking over our prayer room. Uh, but the following week, get out to prayer on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And everyone said a good amen. Well, hey, uh, we started a new series last week called Altars. Anybody get out of last week's message? Uh, anything out of that? There's four of you that got something. I'm going to quit right now and uh, hanging the cleats up. Uh, but no, thank you for, uh, for being here last Sunday. Our thesis is, uh, for this series, is that throughout scripture, God transformed people at encountering places. Those encountering places were called altars. Throughout the Old Testament, Abraham built four altars. We talked about those last, last Sunday. Today, we're going to be looking at the very first church service in the Bible. So this week, when you're a coworker is begging you to, to answer the question, when was the first church service in scripture? You're going to be ready to go. It's a joke, people. Just it's a tough crowd today. If you're watching online, it's a tough crowd we're dealing with. Um, but no, uh, I want to talk about the first church service in the Bible, and it's actually the grandson of Abraham that we taught about last week. There's Abraham, Isaac. It should have been Esau, but uh, what happened was is Esau kind of he kind of gave up his whole future. Probably one of the, the worst deals in history was uh, Isaac had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob was uh, the one that we know about. Esau was his older brother. Esau, his name means red or hairy. He was an outdoorsman. He was a member of Bass Pro Shop. He loved hunting. And uh, we know that he was hairy. Like, he was so hairy, Bigfoot took pictures of him. And uh, Esau actually negotiated on a, on a low moment. He was having a tough day. He was starving. And uh, Jacob could throw down in the kitchen. Jacob had a membership to Barnes & Noble. He was an indoorsy guy. He was a reader. And uh, we know the story that Esau actually was so hungry that Jacob said, sell me your birthright. And it was for lentil stew, which, uh, again, chicken, tortilla, I kind of get it. Um, if you're hungry enough, you know. But it was lentil stew that he ends up compromising his birthright. You read on a couple chapters, and his mom actually helps Jacob deceive his older brother and gets his, his father's birth, uh, blessing, the older son blessing. And so basically, we're going to read in Genesis chapter 28 today. But the context is this. Your older brother, who's Bear Grylls, is furious. He wants to kill you. He is verbalized, Mom, I'm going to kill my brother. And it wasn't like when me and you say it. You know what I mean? No, no one else has said that before? I have two older brothers. I've said it before. I'm going to kill you. I didn't mean it, though, you know? I, my older brothers were John and Lucifer, so, you know, it's tough. Uh, it's, tough. It's, okay. it's okay to laugh in church a little bit. I'm just joking. We're just having some fun. Okay. It's a joke. Uh, so he actually said, I'm going to kill my brother, and he meant it. So his mom said, get out of here. I want you to go to my hometown. I have a brother named Laban, and I want you to go there, find a wife. It's a 500-mile trip. And he's three days into a 30-day trek. And uh, we pick up reading in Genesis chapter 28. That's the context. Are you ready to go? First church service in the Bible, we're going to talk about altar building today. And my thesis is, it's at altars that we get access. 
Say this, access. Look at your neighbor and say, God wants to give you access. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10, 12 verses we're reading today. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba, went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night. How long? Because the sun had set, he took one of the stones of that place, put it under his head, and there he lay down in that place to sleep. To what? Sleep. This is the first church service. So there was involved sleep in the first church service. Someone's like, I've been to that church. He began to sleep. Then he dreamed. What did he do? Very important. One more time, real loud. He what? He dreamed. What happened in the dream? Well, it says this. In the dream, he saw a ladder. He saw a ladder. I emphasize that today because God's been speaking to me about the power of the ladder. He saw a ladder that was set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. There the angels of God were ascending and descending on top of it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. And the land that you're on right now, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give it to your descendants. And your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Who likes it when God talks to you like that? I'll take that word any day of the week. Here's the best promise that he gave him. He said, I will be with you. I, he said it this way, present tense, I am with you. I know you're looking over your shoulder expecting an arrow to pierce your back from your brother at any given moment, but I am with you. And not only that, I will keep you wherever you go. I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm not going to leave you until I've done exactly what I've spoken to you. Jacob got up out of the sleep, said, surely the Lord is in this place. I'm telling you right now, you haven't been to church if you haven't been able to describe it as a place that God is in. Someone say, that, that was a dry environment. That wasn't church. A real church service is when you leave saying God was in that place. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not even know it. Someone's going to say the same thing that Jacob said back then. I had no idea that God was going to be in these tents, but he's here. I didn't even know it. And he was afraid. Sometimes our first response to the bigness of God, the largeness of God, is we get a little bit afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? First descriptive word of church. Awesome. How many think that church should be described as an awesome place? I want to apologize to everyone that's described church, had an encounter with God at a church that wasn't quantified as awesome. And I would say if it wasn't awesome, it wasn't the problem of God, it was the falling of a man. God is perfect. God is awesome. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Notice how our forefather describes what church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the gateway. It's supposed to be where heaven and earth intersect. This is the gate of heaven. Some would never describe that church that way before because you haven't been to a Bible church. Might have Bible in the name, but it might not be a Bible church. Listen to me. Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he put under his head, and he picked it up. He set it up as a pillar, as an altar, and he poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place. He changed the name Beth-El, which means house of God. But the name of the city had been previously Luz, Luz, however you want to pronounce it, previously. 
Is it crick or creek? I don't know. Let's keep going. Then Jacob made a vow saying this. He said this. If God will be with me. Actually, it's a bad translation. The original Hebrew, if, is actually the word since. Let's read it that way. Since God will be with me. Since God will keep me in this way that I'm going. And since God will give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. So that I'll come back to my father's house in peace. The Lord shall be, say it with me, my God. Who wants God to be your God? Who's tired of God being somebody else's but yours? Someone would say, God was my, my grandma's God. He was my mama's God. He's my wife's God. God says, you're here today so he can be your God. My God. And this stone I've set up as a pillar shall be God's house. I'm going to build what? God's house. And he said this last thing, and everything, everything that you give me, all of it, I will surely give you a tenth. And he closes, drops the mic. Amen. It's not in there. You guys ready to go today? Say this word with me, access. Father, I thank you today that you're the God that gives us access. Would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? I pray right now you meet us exactly where we are in Jesus' name. And somebody said a good old-fashioned? Amen. Amen. I love having access to things. I think it's great. It's fun to go. Some of you like going to concerts. You'll spend a lot of money to get an all-access pass. It means you can go to places that most people don't get to go. Access is awesome. Nothing worse than trying to go to somewhere that you think you have access to that you don't have access to. You ever show up to a to a restaurant right as they're closing? They're like, sorry, we normally would let you in, but we can't right now. We're closing, and you lose your access. I don't know if you've ever forgotten a password. I'll take a minute so everyone can be honest. I got more passwords than I can remember. I heard a story of a lady that had a hacker call her and said, I know all of your online passwords. She said, praise God. What are they? I can't even remember all my passwords. I actually change my passwords to incorrect. So when I type in the wrong thing, it says your password is incorrect. You get that one later. That was a joke. I love having access, man. I love having access to things. And I was thinking about this idea. Why in the world did God, uh, why in the world at this very first church service, did God show up on this ladder? And I started thinking that ladders, one of the greatest things that a ladder will do for a human being is it'll give you access to something you can never reach by yourself. Say it with me, access. Say it like you mean access. Now, I know, I know ladders are, are, are kind of an old, archaic thing, um, like, but I have some ladder jokes for you today. Is that all right? Like, I never knew my ladder. I only knew my stepladder. It's a joke. A couple more for you. Just making sure you're with me today. I actually phoned the ladder company, but it just kept it rung, and it rung, and it, a couple more. Can I give you a couple more? I just opened up the instruction book on how to assemble my ladder, and it was step one, step. I'll give you one more. Never trust ladders. They're always up to something. Ladders give you access. Ladders give you what? They give you access. First church service in the Bible, a guy named Jacob. Jacob is a crooked guy. He's a deceptive guy. He's actually been conniving. He's actually, like, started off, as we mentioned last week, didn't end. He, he didn't start as a good father, but he ended up a great father named Israel. 
God would change his name, but before he changed his name, Israel, or excuse me, to Israel, Jacob would change his confession about an ordinary place and call it the church. And an ordinary place to a supernatural place is only the only difference would be the presence of God. The good news about the first church service was is God initiated it. Here's the good news today. Before his encounter, before his dream, before his discussion, before his decision, God initiated a moment. And I want to announce to you before I get too deep into this message that God has initiated this moment. I know that he can use a flawed preacher that's not wearing socks that you like. But my eyes are up here today. God will speak to you. God can use a young man. He can use an old man. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through anybody. Can I get an amen? I believe this is a God-orchestrated moment. Whether you're a sold-out believer, whether you're atheist or agnostic, I know you're here today. I'm glad you're here today. But here's the good news. Anyone that wants to have an encounter with God can have one because the love of God initiates it. It says in 1 John that we love him because he what? First loved us. We can draw near to God. He will draw near to us, but it's because he initiates. The story goes, he's three days into a 30-day, 500-mile trek. He's fearful. He's lonely. He's scared. He's probably wondering, do I have the food to make it to where I'm supposed to go? Will I live long enough to get to my family's house? He's, he's terrified. He has no future, no promise, no, 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 no confidence. And it says that God would initiate an encounter with him. As he got to Luz, he actually lied down on a rock. He fell asleep. And it says in the sleep, he had a dream. He had a dream. He had a dream. He had a what? I want you to know today, there's three things I want to share with you. Two of them are because of God. One of them is a response by you. When it comes to being uh, altered, transformed, when it comes to actually genuinely knowing God, I believe it comes down to having access. Say it with me, access. Explain this today, access. I believe everyone in this room has equal access. Whether you're a prophet, you're a priest, you're a, you're a, a, a pastor, you're an evangelist, I don't care how many titles you have in front of your name, how long the name of your church is. <laughs> Some long church names out there. I believe that we all have equal access. Can I get a good amen? Jesus didn't die for partial custody of his kids. He died for full custody for all of his kids. God isn't interested in having any grandkids. He only wants children. He doesn't want you to know him through your grandma, know God through your mama or your daddy. That's why he revealed himself to Jacob as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. But he says, I'm here for you. God doesn't just want you to know him through your dad or your granddad, which I'm grateful for godly generations. But I got word for you today that you're never too old or you're never too young to start your own history with Jesus. God is interested in having history with all of you. Some of you say, God, remember me. And he's like, how can I remember you if we've never spent time together? You've got to have a moment with somebody to remember somebody. And I feel strong today that God came to Jacob in a dream. In a what? The dream was the point of encounter. The dream was the point of encounter. And i got three points for you today. I want you to write this down. If you're going to have access, you got to realize that God wants to give you a dream or we'll say an encounter. He wants to. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That we might have life. That we might know him. That we might be saved. God wants you to know that he, he died to give you access. He died to give you access. He has a dream. In the dream he sees a what? 
A ladder. I should have told you, he had a ladder. In a dream, he saw what? Ladders, uh, according to my deep research, ladders help you reach things. Ladder will help you reach something you can never reach by yourself. Ladders are significant. Ladders are actually, it's pretty important in the game of ladders, what they're on and what they're against. You want to see, uh, you want to be entertained for a little bit, type in ladder fails. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. But we know a lot of stories of people that have been hurt on ladders, people that have used ladders for, for work, people that have ladder stories. It's important not only that, but it's important to know what the ladder is made out of. It's important to know who's holding. That's some of your problems right there. I'm watching ladder fell. I'm like, do you trust your four-year-old to hold the ladder? That's your mistake, man. You got too much confidence in that kid. Who's holding the ladder? And we know this about ladders, that the, 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 the higher you get on a ladder, the greater your perspective becomes. Ladders. It's interesting that the first thing our forefather in the faith saw, one of our patriarchs saw, is he saw a ladder. The bottom of it was on the earth. The top of it was on heaven. So heaven was leaning against, or earth was leaning against heaven. Are you hearing me today? And it was so connected that there was actually angels from heaven coming down the ladder to earth. And there was angels from earth carrying things up to heaven. I want to just give you an idea real quick that church is not just some religious place that we sing a couple songs, we hear a little message, we write a couple notes, and we say, praise God, I'm going to heaven one day. It's actually a place that we experience stuff coming down and a place that we can give God things that go up. It's where I receive healing and it's a place that I give burdens. It's a ladder. It goes up, it comes down. It goes up, it comes down. It goes up, it comes down. There's a ladder. There's a ladder here in his dream. It's a significant dream. He's in a desolate, dangerous, scary moment of his life, and God gives him a dream of a ladder. Ladders give you access, and in this case, the ladder gave him access to heaven. I want you to write this down today, that God, through his son, Jesus Christ, it says in John 1, I think it's verse 51, that Jesus is, the Son of Man has uh, angels of God. He saw angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I want you to know that Jesus claims to be Jacob's ladder. Jesus is the ladder that the eternal realm comes to the temporary realm. Jesus is the ladder that the power of heaven invades earth with. Jesus is the ladder that actually our prayers go up through Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our ladder. If you're grateful that he is, come on, give him 10 seconds, hand clap, and a shout of praise. We have a ladder. His name is Jesus. You see heaven open, he said. And when you do, you'll see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus is our ladder. And with Jesus in your life, you will reach things you will never reach on your own. There are things that you will see that you will never see on your own. Jesus will give you a perspective. He'll give you access to things. There's some stuff that you thought was impossible, and they are if you don't have the ladder. The problem is most people never take the time to have a dream or an encounter to experience the ladder. We're so busy building pools and pickleball courts that we forgot to build altars. 
I'm not against redoing the kitchen. I'm not against putting a new bathtub in. But if I could petition you today, before you renovate your house, build an altar. Before you get caught in the material world of keeping up with the Joneses, build an altar. Before you send your kid to a $2,000 sports camp, send them to church camp. Build an altar. Most people miss out on the access of what Jesus died to give because they've never created a space to have an encounter. You're in a dream zone today. I know you're in a dream zone because every time you encounter God in a real way, you'll begin to dream. Acts 2 says when the Holy Spirit was poured out, your young men, young women, they'll prophesy. Young men will have visions. Old men will dream. One of the fruits or the, I would say, evidence that you're meeting with God is you will begin to dream again. Some of you need a God encounter because you haven't dreamed in a long time. Some of you are more interested in fantasy than you are in reality. And I'll tell you why. It's because you're not living the purpose that God made you to live. When you're living in the will of God, you'll have the dreams of God. I feel like preaching a little bit today. So when you're lying in bed fantasizing about winning the lottery or just, just, just episode after episode of Netflix, entertaining your dreams that are dying in the soil of entertainment, you got to dream a new dream. God actually wants you to dream a new dream. I believe you're, you're, you're old, not determined by your age, but by your ability to stop dreaming. I heard one wise man say that you know you're old when you're more excited about your memories than you are your dreams. God wants to give you a new dream. Can I get an amen up in here? God wants to speak to you about your vocation. You should have dreams about how you can be a better husband. God should be speaking to you at night about dreaming about being a better father. What I can do to fix this problem with God. How to build a greater church. How to take care of people better. God wants to speak to you about dreaming. Some of you haven't dreamed in a long time. And I'm telling you that we're in Orange County because we're in a city full of master dreamers. And my thought is this. If you could dream a great dream without God, what could you do with God? Joseph had a dream at 17 that would shake the earth. God wants to give dreams today that will shake the earth. God told me that Ocean's Church would be full of master dreamers. The problem most of us don't dream is most of us don't create a point of encounter. you got to build an altar if you want to have access. Because it's at the altar that you have the encounter. It's at the altar that you have the dream. Can I get a good amen? And I love the fact that he said, look, I know your grandpa. I know your dad. But I also want to know you. That's for someone in here today. God knew your grandma, your grandpa. God knew your mom or your dad. But you haven't made God your God yet. God is knocking at the door of your heart today. He says, yeah, you can tell their stories, but don't you want to tell your own stories one day? You really want to raise your kids talking about the great things your mom or dad did for God? Why don't you have your own history? Can I get an amen? Problem is, most people realize that if you don't build an altar, you don't create a space. There's no dream. There's no encounter. And we know this. God, he initiates this opportunity, just like he's initiating right now for you. You're like, I've never done that before. Well, here is your invitation by God. God's not going to judge you on what you didn't know yesterday. He's actually going to hold you accountable to what you're hearing right now. Will you from here out say, God, I'm willing to build an altar. I want to meet with you. I want to hear your voice. And here's what happens. When you create a space that you can dream in the presence of God, here's what happens next. Number two, you'll begin to hear God's declaration over your life. 
God begins to declare to Jacob. He says, look, I knew your dad. I knew your granddad. Here's what I'm going to do with you, though. I'm going to bring you back to this land. I'm going to make your descendants like they're going to be more fruitful than Chick-fil-A. Come on. There's going to be more locations of your descendants than there are in and out burgers in California. He's like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour out my spirit with you. And I'm telling you right now, where there is an altar, there's a place to hear God's voice. That's where declaration comes in. God wants you. Get this out of your heart today. I want to get rid of all the lies that say God doesn't speak anymore. He is speaking every single day. Well, I've never heard him. Well, I don't hear AM stations. I'm never tuned in. You'll never hear the AM radio unless you have an AM frequency dial. Some of you never heard the voice of God, not because the waves aren't out there, not because there's not a signal going on, not because there's sports talk shows happening. It's because you have never tuned in. And I want you to know that today could be the day that you tune into the voice of God. And when you tune into his voice, you're going to hear God declaring. Say declaring. God will declare over you. It was 2002 that I heard the voice of God the clearest. First time in my life. It was my burning bush moment. I was in McCall, Idaho. I was 18 years old. I knew God was real because two years before that, I had my first encounter with him. Uh, I knew God was powerful because a year before that, 2001, I got at the, at the same camp, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. But here I am the third year at the same camp, and I heard the voice of God in August of 2002 say to me three things on the first night of camp. Mark, I want you to move to Idaho. Mark, I want you to live with your dad. Mark, I want you to go to Bible college. And I said, Lord, I know you have a lot of kids. You've obviously got some of us mixed up. I don't like Idaho. I really don't like my dad. And did you forget I'm cool? <laughs> kind of an arrogant statement, but I was 18. I knew everything. Bible college? I'm going to be a pro snowboarder. He's like, no, I want you to move to, move to Idaho. I want you to live with your dad. I want you to go to Bible college. And the crazy part was, I knew it was God because I would never fabricate something so stupid. <laughs> second night, I couldn't tell you what they preached on, but I'll tell you this, second night, same three things at the altar call. Move to Idaho, yeah. live with your dad, go to Bible college. I'm like that, that's the devil. <laughs> you, ever, you ever blame the devil because you don't want to acknowledge God? That's where I was at. Third night. Moved to Idaho, live with your dad, go to Bible college. It got so bad the third night that I couldn't sleep. It was like those three words were like the old school, old school screensavers that were bouncing inside. DVD, remember that? Moved to Idaho, live with your dad, go to Bible college. Fourth night, I came. I couldn't tell you who was preaching. I couldn't tell you what the message was. I told first service, and I had to apologize, but it could have been an altar call for senior citizens with hemorrhoids. I was going up. My heart was beating out of my chest. I knew this was the voice of God. I got to the altar that night, and I said, I don't want anybody touching me, Lord. And I heard the voice of God say, Mark, move to Idaho, live with your dad, go to Bible college. I said, Lord, that's, that's crazy. And I said, but I'll make a deal with you. If you promise me that everyone in my family, I name my two brothers, I name my baby sister, I name my stepbrothers, my stepsister, I name my, my parents, I name my aunts and uncles, my cousins. I literally spent about 10 minutes naming everyone that I knew and cared about. And I said, God, 
if you promise me that everyone I care about will know you the way that I'm coming to know you in this moment, I'll do whatever you want me to do the rest of your life. My life probably, not yours. You're going to outlive me. Not really. I'm going to live with you forever. And I, uh, I negotiated. And I heard the first promise of my life at the altar, at the place of encounter, that God declared his word over my life. And he said this simple statement that has been true my entire life of the last 20 plus years of walking with Jesus. He said, Mark, if you give me your best, I'll give you my best. I married a girl out of my league. I have two beautiful little girls way out of my league. I have a job out of my league. I work with people out of my league. I have friends that are out of my league. I have a life out of my league. And I would trace every great thing in my life back to the most important decision I ever made that God said at the altar, he said, will you do what I'm asking you to do? Move to Idaho, live with your dad, go to Bible college. I feel like the Lord today says this is a significant location. This is your burning bush moment. This is the place that God wants the promises of scripture to become real in your life. God will speak to you if you create an altar. And at that ladder, he'll give you access to the promises of God. Hear me today. The Bible says that there's 8,810 verses that pertain to promises. 7,487 are promises made by God to you and me. I heard it said that most good things in life come to us because of God's goodness. But most of the promises of God will never be experienced unless we earnestly pursue them. Will you just exist? Or will we go after persisting in the promises of God? God declared to him that I am the Lord, your God. I am with you, I will give you, and I will not leave you until I told you what I would do to your life. I want you to know that at the altar, at the ladder, he'll give you access to promises. Those promises are yes and they are amen. According to 2 Corinthians, in Christ Jesus, Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, 11, that the word of God goes out of God's mouth and it will not return void. When God gives you a promise, it will accomplish what he desired to set out for it to do. I'm telling you today that God's promises are like this. He'll never fail you. God's promise is that he's always good. His promise that he's always faithful. His promise is that he's kind and compassionate. His promise that he didn't make you for an accident. There's a purpose. That he's actually a God that loves you the best even though he knows you the most. His promise is the fact that it brings his power in your life to do what he made you to do. He'll strengthen and help you. He'll give you wisdom. And guess what? He can be trusted. Most people never experience access because they never dream with God or they never listen to his voice declare promises over their life. God wants to speak his promise over your life. His blood speaks a better word. Can I get an amen? Some of you don't like God because you have bad theology. Your theology, look, all of us are theologians, just some of you are poor theologians. Theologians are people, theology is your belief in God. It's your relationship with God. And the worst mistake you can make is calling God bad because your life's been bad. Never lower your theology down to just your experience. That would be the equivalent of watching the best movie ever made and judging it as a bad movie after the first three seconds. I wrote this down. Eternity will ultimately grade our opinion of God's goodness. 
And because we're not in eternity yet, you can't judge accurately how awesome our God is. We don't know why God does something sometimes, but we know this, He's God. Well, I don't like that God did that. Well, He's God. Well, I'd prefer that He wouldn't have done that. Well, He's God. And if you want to make a God in, in His image, I mean, I heard it said that in the beginning God created man, and ever since, man has been trying to return the favor. Man always tried to make God in our image. God shouldn't have done this. He should have done that. No, He's God. His ways are higher than our ways. Well, I think He's doing a poor job. Well, that would be like me That'd be like, no, no, it'd be like an ant coming to me saying, you're doing a bad job pastoring this church. I'm like, you little ant. <laughs> you know, I'm just kidding. I just go hug. His ways are higher. Can I give you the last thing here? We'll wrap this up. God gives dreams. God gives declarations. Man, our job is we make decisions. We make decisions. Problem isn't, Will God speak to you? The problem is, what will you do when he does? Here's the real issue. What will you do when God begins to give you a dream? What will you do when God says, I want you to move to California. I want you to start a church. What will you do when God says, I want you to actually go to Ocean's College? What will you do when God says, I want you to get your kids to summer camp? What will you do when God says, I want you to bring God into your boardroom with you? What will you do when God begins to declare, give you a dream. Here's the last thing we talk about today is there's a significant decision that Jacob made at the first church service. First church service. I remember it was 2003, a year later, I was at an altar with 5,000 kids my age when I got the instructions of my life. It was no longer come to Idaho, it was will you be a missionary? That was what I heard at an altar, Portland, Oregon, 2003, January. I started to weep. I said, God, you know I didn't want to do that. But my grandma was a missionary. And my grandpa was a missionary. And my dad was born in Japan. Grandma and grandpa said he was the greatest thing made in Japan. And I heard the Lord say, will you be a missionary? I began to cry. I said, fine, you're too good. I'll do it. And I saw a globe spinning. And I said, what nation are you going to call me to? And I didn't see the nation first. I heard his voice first. He said, I'm going to call you to one of the hardest places of your generation. I'm going to call you to a first world country that's so full of everything else, they don't think they need me. And he pointed at North America. And he says, as you reach North America, you'll reach the nations of the earth. That was my moment. And God wants you to have a moment today. What do you do when you encounter God? Well, this is what he did. Three things. He worshiped. He said, God, I'm making a pillar. God, I'm pouring out oil. Paul said in Philippians 2.17 that I was being poured out as a drink offering. We pour our devotion onto God as we worship. And when you worship God, it will change the way you talk about places. It'll change the way you talk about things. After his God encounter, he said, Lord, I'm worshiping you. One scholar said he picked up a stone that was way too heavy for a human being to pick up. But when you have a God encounter, he'll give you a new strength. He set up the stone. He poured oil on top of it. And he said, this is no longer Luz. This is the house of God. This is Bethel. I'm not calling it ordinary. I'm calling it supernatural. This isn't a parking lot with some turf and a tent. This is a meeting place from heaven to earth. If you believe it, shout a good amen. He changed the name. 
an ordinary place, more monitor please, became a sacred place. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. And he changed the name. When you encounter God, you'll change the way you name things. Your husband's not a slob. Your wife's not this. Your kids aren't that. You begin to change the name. My kids are blessed. My wife is blessed. My marriage is blessed. Our vocation is blessed. Encountering God will put life in your lips. Encountering the presence of the Most High will put life into your lips. And I'll tell you right now, when you change the name, the last thing you'll do is you'll dedicate your life. I love that it says that it wasn't if. He says, since, since you brought me out, since you provided for me, since you'll give me clothes to wear and food to eat, since, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to be my God. And if you really want to make God your God today, here's three ways you do it. Three ways you do it is you say, God, you're my God. Not my wife's God. Not the one my grandma prays to. Not the one that my dad used to always serve. You're my God. I wish Orange County would make it personal to say, my God. Who would say it with some conviction? My God. Who believes in your God today? Say, my God. My God shall supply all your lack. My God is my strong tower that I run to and I'm safe. My God is my fortress and my deliverer. My God is the one that takes care of me. My God is the one that heals me. My God. Say it with some, some grit in your soul. Say, my God. Jesus wants you to have a personal conviction that he's not their God, my God. And when he's your God, this is so cool, you'll actually have a desire like he did to build Bethel. He said, you'll be my God, and guess what's going to happen? When I come back here, I'll spend the rest of my life building Bethel. I'll come back to this pillar, and when I do, you know what I'm going to do for you, God? You'll be my God, I'll spend the rest of my life building your house. Listen to me very closely today. We love the kingdom. We are kingdom people. But the greatest and the fastest way you build the kingdom is by building the local church. The local church is the, the place that we declare the message of the kingdom. So we come in preaching the kingdom. The kingdom is the message. The local church is the messenger. And I'm just telling you right now, Jesus said he'll give us the keys to the what? The kingdom. But Jesus also said, I will build my... I will build my, the only thing on the earth God is building personally is his church. Who's the church? Raise your hand, please. I'm not talking about buildings today. I'm not talking about denominations today. I'm not talking about arguing over creeds and theology today. He said, I will build my, I will build my, raise your hand if you're the church. I will build my, I will build my, you know what he's saying? I will build you. I will build you. You know what a radical idea was? In the New Testament, he says, listen to me, you were bought at a price. It ain't your body, your choice. You were bought at a, you were bought at a price. You are the temple. This is, what, this is what Paul said. You are the temple of the living God. Do you know how crazy that was? In the, in the world of antiquity, the temple was the holiest place on the earth. So when Paul says, hey, where's the church at? Raise your hand. You're the temple. Hey, you ever thought about this? God, how many believe that God's everywhere? He's omnipresent? You guys believe that? Why then, listen to me, why then did Jesus say, where two or three of you agree in my name, there I will be in the midst. Listen, if he's everywhere, 
Why would we need two or three to get them in our midst? Selah. Why do he say that? Why do he say, look, I'm everywhere all the time, so just call on me. No, he said, we're two or three. Gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There. There. This is the point. The temple of God is where the presence of God is. And the presence of God is where we are. You want God to change the education of California? We have to go there. Because where we are, God is. You want God to change the political system of our state? We got to go there. Because where we are, God's there. You want God to change the, the, the climate of our state? We got to get involved in the state. Because where we are, God is. Where I am, God is. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where I go, God goes. Say it with me. Where I go, God goes. Where I go, God goes. If I'm there, God's there. Say it like you mean it. Where I, where, where I go, God goes. Stand to your feet. Say where I go, God goes. Where I am, God is. You're the temple. Say I'm the temple. And God will turn you into a holy place. That's why it's so important to let the Holy Spirit make you holy. God can't dwell with darkness. Darkness and light don't coexist. As cute as that bumper sticker is. Light and darkness have no dealings with each other. God will come in like a marvelous light. He'll wash you out. And I'm just telling you right now that when you have that my God experience, He said, I'm going to build your house the rest of my life. And as I build it, I'll return a tithe. 10% of everything. Say all. He uses the word all. In Hebrew, in Aramaic, and in Greek, all actually means all. You guys are smart today. I'll give you a tenth of all. Of all. Of all. Of all. Problem is, we don't want to give God a tenth of all. I love what James said today. He said, look, I didn't have a problem with the money part. It was being honest with my wife. Say all. I didn't have a problem with the money part, but I had a problem with alcohol. Say all. I didn't have a problem with this, but I had a problem telling the truth. Say all. God doesn't want some. He wants Includes money, though. 10%. People say, Mark, tithing's Old Covenant. Well, it's actually Old and New Covenant, but it existed before Moses, and it's actually a test. Say it with me, a test. I have never taught on money officially, like a series, in the four years of our church, because I never wanted our church to think that we were after, like, we got to teach you to like about money because we just want your money. God doesn't need your money. Grab a seat. I'm almost done. I want you to know this today, though, though, that I believe in my heart of hearts, the reason why God put Malachi, bring the tithe into the storehouse, that it might be, the windows of heaven might be open, rebuke the devourer, that great verse. A lot of people say, Mark, tithing's old covenant. I would say it was before the old covenant. Abraham tithed to the priest Melchizedek. Jacob said, I'll tithe. Jacob was a tither. I could go down the list, but here's the biggest thing. Say with me, 10. Do you know what 10 means in the Bible? It means test. How many times uh, did God test Pharaoh's heart with plagues? How many commandments were there? How many times did Laban's change Jacob's wages? How many generations were there before Noah? How many people did God want to, to spare a city of Sodom and Gomorrah? How many wise virgins and foolish virgins? How many coins in the New Testament? How many minas in the New Testament? How many disciples? Twelve. That was a test. 
You know why God put tithing in the Old Covenant? It missed the New Testament by about four pages. 400 years, but four pages. You know why? Because your money is connected to your worship. Let's be very honest with you today. And if you think for a second that I need your money, I want your money, you can tithe to another local church. But I'm just being very honest with you. If he's really your God, you'll do three things. You'll say, you're mine. You'll be a worshiper. You'll be a church builder. And you'll be a giver. And the reason why some of you never had the dream, never heard the voice, never walked in the purpose of God, is you haven't done one of those three things. Say with me, my God. I'll build Bethel. I'll be a tither. Those were the responses of the first church. And I would say, man, if we could do what they did then, we'll make church great again. Church will be great. If we'll have a room full of people that say, he's my God, I'll build the church. And I'm a tither. I give God my forgiveness. I've given God my talents. I'll serve with my time. I'll give God my gifts. I'll bring them into my business. I'll pray in my family. And even in the area that's probably the hardest for most Americans, I'll put God first with my money. And I'm just telling you right now, I've never done a series on this before, but I want you to know, in the, I'll do a series on this later, but, but the 10 represents the all. In the 10 represents the all. When uh, Isaac sent, or when, when Abraham sent Isaac to get a wife for a son, he sent 10, 10 camels, 10. You look at uh, 10 throughout the Bible. The other thing that 10 means, it means it represents the whole. So if you bring God the 10, it represents the whole. I'm teaching that, I don't have time for, to break that down today. But I just want you to know, if we'll give, if we'll give a personal commitment to God, be my God dreams some of you you hate what you do for a living and life's too short to hate what you do I've actually never met anybody that succeeded at a high level that hated what they do part of the key ingredients of changing the world is doing what God made you to love or if you hate something so bad you actually innovate out of it and I believe that God's gonna give some inventions there is some there is some man founders in our church there are some startup companies, some tech companies. There's devices. I believe that God's house should be full of dreams, ideas, change the world. You stand your feet. I'm going to pray for you. I want to ask you an honest question today. You say, Mark, I want to have an encounter that I can begin to dream with God again. Some of you, like, literally, you're just entertaining yourself to death. Always on your phone. Always watching Netflix. Always fantasizing about a life you don't have because you're not living in God's purpose for your own life. One of the ways you can tell your heart's healthy is by how you dream. I can honestly tell you that I'm not perfect, but my heart is healthy. Because you know what I think about at night when I lay in bed? You guys. You know what I think about when I go to bed at night? How can we make Ocean's Church what God wants it to be? And when you think about your vocation in your life through the lens of the heart of God, it is beautiful how God gives you ideas. You start thinking about things like baptized SoCal. You start thinking about things like, let's make a great Oceans Church headquarter campus at every major ocean in the world. I can tell you the things that God's been speaking to me, and it would blow your mind, and you'd, you'd say, I'm crazy. That's fine. You're always crazy until you go out and do it. We're going to do it. God's going to do something. He's going to write a story that starts in Orange County, but that's going to touch the ends of the earth. And I'm here for it. Anybody else here for that? 
God wants to give dreams. If you want to start dreaming again, you stopped dreaming, got discouraged, maybe just hate your job so much, you're like, I'm just existing. God wants you to dream again. I want to pray for you. I want you to lift your hands right now. I feel, I feel the burden of God. I want to dream. I don't want to exist. I want to dream. I don't want to just be entertained. I want to dream. I don't want to look at someone else's dreams. I want to have my own dreams. Someone's hands up next to you. It's all right. We're going to pray for each other. Hear me very clearly. I heard the Lord last service say, this week I'm going to visit you with dreams while you're sleeping. And some of you, he's going to visit you with visions while you're awake. The difference between a vision and a dream is one's subconscious and one is when you're spiritually conscious. And I believe that God wants you to have dreams and visions. If someone's hands up next to you, just go ahead and put your hand on their shoulder right now. Actually, this is too big. Grab your neighbor's hand. I don't care if they don't want it. We're going to pray for them anyways. Come on, we're put some holy peer pressure on your neighbor. We're not telling you to do drugs. We're telling you to experience the most high. Come on, somebody. With their hands, say, Holy Spirit, I invite you to give my neighbor dreams. I invite you to give my neighbor visions. Today, encounter them. Speak to them. Give them ideas. Declare your promises. Encounter them now. In Jesus' name, let the unconditional love of Jesus Christ heal every wound, bind up every broken heart, heal every sick body, wash every sick mind, and do what only God can. We bless, we speak life, we speak faith, hope, and love into their spirit we speak faith hope and love into their spirit prophesy we speak faith hope love into their spirit dream again live again we say live again can these bones live we say less we say yes we say live in jesus name we say dream in Jesus' name. You're not an exister, you're a liver. You're a thriver, you're a dreamer. I prophesy over you, Oceans Church, you are master dreamers. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly, abundantly above, you're those that come boldly to the throne of grace. You receive mercy, find grace to help in your time of need. You're a dreamer in Jesus' name. Say, I'm a dreamer. Dreamer. Now, if you're here today and you're ready to decide for yourself, say, God, I'm ready for you to be my God. You let go of your neighbor's sweaty hand. Come on, say, if you're here today, say, God, I want you to be my God. Here's the thing. I'd say a chunk of you, you've never known Jesus, but your heart's beating out of your chest. And as your neighbor prayed for you, you felt something you've never felt before. That's the tangible presence of Jesus. And here's the second thing. You, you just prayed that prayer, and you're in this atmosphere. You're like, Mark, I'll be honest. I've never walked with God, never really believed in Jesus. There were seven people I got to pray for in San Jose, first-time decisions for Jesus. There's a few of you in here. I think there's three of you today that you've never given your life to Jesus. Your heart's beating out of your chest. You thought that all religions were the same. They're not. They might look the same on the buildings on the outside, but taxis look the same on the outside, too. Taxis and airplanes take you to different places based upon what you believe. Today, God wants to encounter you. 
you're here today and you want to make God your God. I'm going to pray for you. Second group is you say, Mark, I walked away from God. God didn't turn his back on you. You turned your back on God. But today is a good day to get right with Jesus. I repeat, today, not tomorrow, today is a, is a good day to get right with Jesus. So if you want to rededicate your life to him, turn away from your darkness, turn back to him. I'm going to ask both of you, every eye closed in this place. If you're in line right now, you can just write heart, H-E-A-R-T, when I count to three. But I'm going to give you three seconds. If you say, Mark, I've never given Jesus my life. He's not my God. But today, I will not leave until he is my God. I will not go to lunch until he is my God. David said, I won't give eyes, I won't give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I make a place for my God. If you're here today and you want to make him your God, rededicate your life. First time, maybe, putting your faith in Jesus. I think there's three first time decisions, and there's many, at least seven other decisions to rededicate. Would you lift your hands right now all over? I'll give you three seconds. One, no one's looking. Eyes closed, please. Two, this is a holy moment. Holy Spirit, everyone that's supposed to respond to you, let them respond now. Three, real high, would you put your hand up for me? Say, I want to give my life back to Jesus. Or for the first time, I want to put my faith in God. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. Three, four, real high. I see five hands, six hands, seven hands, eight hands, real awesome, real awesome. Nine hands, real high, keep it up, real high. Nine, nine, I see nine. I see nine. I know there's ten at least. So God told me there's three new, seven rededications. All right, you're worth it. All right, you're worth it. Put your hands down. You didn't raise your hand. There's at least, I'm going to say there's one more, but there's going to be two of you that respond. One more, but there's two of you that respond. We might even get a third person, actually. Your heart's beating out of your chest. I'm telling you, no one God speaks to me. There was supposed to be ten, but God's going to make the devil pay for trying to intercept the good seed. And there's going to be 13 today. There's three more, four more. Every eye closed, I'm going to count to three. You did not raise your hand, but you know your heart is about, you might have cardiac arrest here. You're like, my heart is beating. I'm sweating in parts of my body that I didn't know I could sweat in. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray a prayer for you. Every eye closed, there's four more hands. One, two, would you raise your high? That's for me. Three. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I see two. I see three. I see three. One more. There's one more. There's one more. There's one more somewhere. Where is it? I see three. Four. Thank you, sir. Young man. All right. We're talking. Okay. Put your hand on your heart right now. We're going to pray with those that raised their hands. It's 14. We're going to pray this prayer of introduction. But be very clear with me today, this is not an end prayer, this is a beginning prayer. This is the first prayer of your life, but not the last one. And this is the prayer that will actually trigger every other prayer you pray from here out. God responds to faith, so let's pray with some faith. Say, Jesus, I invite you to be my God. Say it like you mean it, my God. I ask you to forgive me, to heal me, and to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I turn from my way, my darkness, my past, and I turn to you. I ask you to forgive me, to wash me, to make me clean. I ask for three things. I ask you for a Bible, 
and an appetite to read it. I ask you for a church that I could grow in. And I ask you for friends that know you better than I do. In Jesus' name. You pray those things. Come on, give God a good hand clap. Just 10 seconds. We'll get you out of here. We got time. We got time. We'll be out of here in two minutes, three minutes. Last thing we do before I give it over to the announcements while you're still standing. Everybody's standing. Just real quick, promise get you out of here. I can't finish because every time the gospel's preached with conviction, God always wants to confirm his word by healing those that are sick. If you're here today and you need physical healing, my friend Paul, we talk all the time about people that God's healing in our church. He had a word for one guy who's having seizures or epilepsy, prayed for him. God healed him. They haven't had an issue ever since then. I can tell you story after story of people getting healed in this church. If you're here, I do feel like someone has epilepsy and you're going to be healed in this service. You will never have a seizure again the rest of your life. God's going to heal you right now. If you have a vertebrae, chronic pain, if it's maybe not physical healing, you need mental healing. Maybe you're bipolar. Maybe you have severe PTSD. I believe in a God that doesn't just heal physical bodies, but he can heal a mind. He can heal a broken heart. Someone just went through a divorce, or you're in the middle of one. God wants to bandage your heart today. And there's someone like my friend James, you want to break an addiction today. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's alcohol or meth or cocaine. Today's a great day to start your sobriety. Today's a, today's a great start to freedom. You say amen to that prayer? So here's what we need. We don't need perfect people. We just need honest people. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, the honest. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I would love it if Jesus would heal me or touch me, deliver me, meet me where I'm at today. If you need one of the things I just mentioned, would you raise your hand? doesn't make you weird. It makes you honest. We all need prayer sometimes. We all need prayer. I've raised my hand all those things in my life. We all need prayer sometimes. Honest people in this room. Do me a favor now. You know the drill oceans? If someone has their hand up next to you, here's what the Bible says. Disciples will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So they're going to lay hands on a shoulder. Not weird, promise. We've actually, we've vetted all these people. That's a lie. But I'm trusting that they're good people. If they say anything crazy to you, they're crazy, not me. Amen? But here's what we're going to do. In faith, we lay hands on you. And let's pray this prayer as we close. All over Oceans Church today, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I invite you to do what you do. In Jesus Christ's name, from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. We speak to their spirit, to their soul, and to their body. We say live in Jesus' name. We say life in Jesus' name. We bind physical, spiritual sickness, and we loose healing in Jesus Christ's name. Spirit of infirmity, you gotta go in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill them, heal them now in Jesus Christ's name. And the sons and daughters that have access to our God gave a good hand clap and shouted amen.